happened was like these studies where rats would they put them in a room by themselves and there'd be nothing around them they'd just these know isolated rats and they would have one food button and a crack cocaine button and then they would just start hitting the crack cocaine button and they're like see that's how addictive it is eventually these animals will just give up food and the drugs but what they found is if they have like a little rat village where there's a bunch of other rats going around they don't care about the crack at all like they, they will hit it once or twice for a goof but they go across their business so it's it, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm excited to have one of my most well-read friends back on the show, Chad Lott. If you missed part one, please go back and hear about his time. Content marketing, copywriting from Whole Foods through his last three startups. Now he's over at an exciting one for in the State Farm family called High Road. Chad, I want to go back to what we were talking about at this idea of can brands up their game in content marketing and get essentially like when you think about the extra effort to compete with the media and, and all the crazy stuff that's going on, like creating content that that's good takes more effort, but it feels to me like it's worth so much more than the extra effort it's worth. Because when you put stuff out and it doesn't get read, it doesn't move the needle, it's a waste of time. And yet if you can get it over that mark, it, it has a really high ROI. Can you talk about oh, that? The ROI. Yeah, there are, I mean, like the classic example of doing something creative and having huge ROI is Dollar Shave Club, right? Like, so they'd spend 10 grand making the coolest commercial anyone's ever seen for shaving equipment. And that company sold for billions of dollars. So like, if you want proof, that's like the perfect example of it. And, you know, not everybody is going to have a really charismatic CEO and a hilarious idea and a film budget or whatever. But, you know, all you have to do is look at YouTubers right now to see what's possible with one person and one camera. Or I, if you're in branding right now and you have a Netflix account, I urge you to go watch Bur- Bo Burnham's Inside. He's a comedian who I never paid attention to because I don't really like the whole alt comic scene. But the thing he put out with just himself in a room or in a house locked in with one camera and some cheap lights from Amazon is absolutely incredible and just shows you what can be done. And I, I would say if you're building an org, like maybe you don't need a super expensive senior copywriter guy. Like maybe you need like a content coordinator who can go find really fun, cool, interesting, untried voices. You know, can you go find, you know, some kid that maybe didn't even go to school, but is killer with like NBA, like basketball footage or something like that. Like it, it's like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk always talks about attention arbitrage. Like, can you buy the thing cheap and sell it's buy low, sell high. So if you have an, like an eye for interesting things. Like this is why I think it's so important for business people to read fiction and, and engage with cool movies and not just the normal stuff. It's like you develop your taste and as your taste gets better, you can spot other people with good taste earlier in their career and take a chance on them. Be like, hey, you know, like why wouldn't I have this crazy cool tattoo artist maybe do the bottles for my beer company or something like that? I mean, what's the worst thing that happens? Your boring company looks slightly cooler I mean, or, or like some, some boomer doesn't like it. Who cares? You know, you know I, 
Another lesson that I think too, we've had my friend Amy Stellhorn on the show. She's got an agency called Big Monocle, works with a bunch of the big oh, yeah, tech yeah. companies out there. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? And my brother was over there working for her for a while. And she would have him do things like this big tech brand needed to needed something. They really needed to get the word out on something. She would just have him reach out to YouTubers who had the guaranteed audience already and say like, hey, we don't want you to make something different. We want you to make something for your show, but about this subject with us. And like, instead of like trying to jam them into a corner of like, and we want it to look like this and come out, like they went to the people who have a talent for making the stuff that stands out and says, and say like, what would you do? Like, hey, we want to give you 10 yeah. grand. We want to give you 20 grand. What, what would you make about this? And it's very easy for them to pick somebody who's like close enough to being on brand Right. And yeah. And rely on their expertise instead of going like, well, I don't do that. I don't know how to do that. So our company shouldn't do that. It's kind of like getting yeah. over that excuse of go and find the expert. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can get out there and then, I mean, everyone's accessible. You just DM them and everybody loves money. So if you're like got a big marketing budget and you're coming at some young YouTuber with 10 grand, you're going to get their attention. I mean, the, the only negative to this sort of thing is sometimes and you have to kind of like be on guard for this and be kind of a dick if it happens is somebody will be like too cool for your corporate money and they'll phone it in on you. And if you feel like it's phoned in, you need to light that partner on fire. Like, I mean, or like, I mean, not, not meanly, but like, like I've seen that happen a few times. And then on the other hand, some people you work with are an absolute delight. Like uh, chef Melissa King, she was a, she was a competitor on top chef and she's, she's like this young Asian queer chef. She's amazing. We worked with her pretty early in her career and she was a delight. Like she, she brought it every single time. And, and, you know, and then I've worked with some illustrators who were too cool for school and they, they, you know, you're like, Hey, we didn't pay for clip art. We paid for your unique view. But a way to really get around that is like, kind of like, let the artist do what attracted you to them. Like if you like, so if you hired a comedy writer to write a script for your thing, don't get in there and micromanage it and make it terrible. Like there's, you know, the roast show, roast battle, or, or like the, the, the comedy central roasts. There's one, there's one comedy writer on there. There's a guy, Tony Hinchcliffe, who's like kind of a controversial comic, but he wrote for that show. And he talks about how what made for a successful roaster is if the person was game and wanted to let you do the thing that you were expert with, it would usually succeed. Like, so his example was Martha Stewart came in and said, I want to kill. I want to be as funny as you can make me. And I'm willing to let you do whatever. And so she came out winging hard with like lead jokes and jail jokes and all kinds of stuff that was like not really on brand for Martha Stewart, but kind of later on pushed her into this whole new demographic of like hanging out with Snoop Dogg and all this stuff. But the example that he uses as the counter is Ann Coulter came in and was like, I cannot look ridiculous. And she had one of the worst performances on one of those roads ever because she bought it. So if you go find somebody who you think is cool, like there's a reason you thought they were cool, you know, don't step all over their 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 talent, you know, with your boring corporateness. You know, you've got to get out of their way a little bit. Yeah. I guess my next question for you is you've done this for years. This is your world. It it seems so obvious to you, right? And people who don't have an expertise in it and they're saying like, yeah, but I just want to tip, dip my toe in the water and like, how do I how do I get started? How do I not look down to my business partners or other people in the business? Like, can't, can't I like level up? Can you talk about like 
finding folks and starting small and start an experiment and, and do more and more with them over time or what you would advise around that? Sure. Yeah. You know, a, a really great part point start, and this is kind of what really like got me a lot of freedom in that Whole Foods is do you have internal culture stuff to work on? Like, can you make the swag that's for your onboarding really awesome? Can you do like a really great presentation and work? Cause like I, I found that I was like really fun and interesting in, in a way like that, you know, it normally isn't in an office for like the environments I was in. So I'll, I'll come in with these really fun, wild things. And maybe, maybe you make a video of the CEO doing something fun and people will respond to that. And they'll be like, Oh, I wish we could do something like that for our Instagram account. And you're like, well, I can, this is, and then you really specifically you're like, this is what it took for me to do that other thing. This is what I think it's going to take me to do for this other thing. And I think we should try it out. And, you know, you don't, want to overpromise when you're experimenting stuff. Everybody should know it's an experiment. You know, you're, we're, we're going to try and do like a fun video and see how it goes. And if it goes awesome, you do more of it. And if it doesn't go awesome, you think about why it didn't go awesome and, we, and try again. Yeah. I mean, the main thing to look out for is just as long as you're like not offending anybody, and it's pretty easy to do that these days, but it's also pretty easy not to. Like, you know, just don't, don't punch down don't be mean to any specific group of people and don't go after your competitors directly until you you really got it and you know you can beat them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about a, a passion we both have besides martial arts, books. Have you ever counted up how many books you've read or listened to? Man, I, I was trying to do this the other day. I was listening to some podcast a long time ago and some guy said something like, Oh, I've read thousands of books in my lifetime. And I was thinking, like, have I? Like, I, I don't know if I have or haven't, to be honest. But, like, I've always consistently read. So about four years ago, I decided I was just going to read 100 books a year until I was dead. And I, that was just going to be my pace. So in 10 years, I could probably say I had read thousands of books. And so this is my, I think, yeah, it's my fourth year doing it. And I just, you know, it's it's not hard to do, man. Just read stuff that's interesting. And don't watch TV. It's pretty much that's the recipe, huh? That's the recipe. Because I don't read like exceptionally fast or anything like that. You know, I, I've tried those speed reading courses, and to me, they just don't work. You know, and just you know, read the best thing in the genre that you could read. Like, there's a reason why like the most recommended thing in the Southern Gothic category is what it is. You know, like I, I also really love looking up at artists that I admire and looking at their reading lists. You can go look up like artists that you like or authors that you like. And they almost like a lot of them have like their top 10 books or their top 100 books. If you look up like five of your favorite people's top 10 books, you have enough to read for a whole year. And then some people are, are you know, are obvious, you know, Stephen King in the back of his book on writing has a list of every single awesome mid-century, like bare knuckle sort of like, most MFA program writer you could ever imagine. I mean, he's really not that hot on horror in that list, which is kind of interesting. Um, but, or you can go read like David Bowie's favorite hundred books. Like, and they're all really, really interesting. And you sort of see, you see like, a, you can see threads, you know, for David Bowie, there's like a lot of literature, like Oscar Wilde type stuff, but there's also you know, philosophy and, you know, there's Freud in there and some political things. So that, that's kind of a fun place to look Or Or if you go read some, um, you know, even that corny content marketing book, like they'll reference the older books that they're stealing from, go read those books. Like those books are 
that like I would say if there's a book that came out that is on a subject that you're interested in, look in the bibliography and look for the big names in that. And just read that and like skip the cliff notes that you were gonna buy at the airport. And so that that's kind of how I approach reading. Like I and I buy books whenever I feel like it, like even if I don't have time to read them. So I have I mean, I've got like probably like a thousand books I haven't read yet that I hope to get to before I'm dead. PS because we haven't talked in a little bit, can I tell you about three books I think you'll like? Yeah. Okay. So Aaron and I were talking about Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way on the show. Uh-huh. And I got his monthly reading list email yesterday. And he brought He's got this, a great list. Right? He's got this one on there called The Choice, Escaping the Past and Embracing the Possible by Dr. Edith uh, Eager. She's one of the last surviving Holocaust victims, you know, who actually studied under Viktor Frankl. And oh, rad. I'm only like five chapters in. It is incredible. It is so solid on like everybody will have bad stuff happen to them. Being a victim about it is your choice, which could sound so harsh until you realize it's coming from a girl whose like family was murdered and was in Auschwitz as a teenager. You know what I mean? And like she's she has the most compassionate way of saying it. Anyways. So there's one. Another one is called The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier Lives with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. It's, it's based on this research thing where they were trying to give rabbits heart disease. And so they're measuring like what will clog up their arteries, right? And these certain rabbits that were being fed the same things had like crazy different results. And the researchers were like really alarmed. <laughs> what have we done wrong, right? And it ends up... Right that those rabbits were all taken care of by this one lab tech who didn't just feed them. She kept like talking to them and petting them, like basically like showing these rabbits love. They have like drastically lower buildup in their arteries and stuff. And you know the the rat, the rat study thing, like how like, you know, like in the seventies where they based all the drug policy on was like these studies where rats would, they put them in a room by themselves and there'd be nothing around them. They'd be just these, you know, isolated rats and they would have one food button and a crack cocaine button and they would just start hitting the crack cocaine button. And they're like, see, that's how addictive it is. Eventually these animals will just give up food and for drugs. But what they found is if they have like a little rat village where there's a bunch of other rats going around, they don't care about the crack at all. Like they, they will hit it once or twice for a goof, but they go across their business. So it, it, it makes total sense to me. So in this study, they're, they're like, this is crazy. This, you know, this doesn't fit their scientific model. That shouldn't matter, right? We fed them the same food. That shouldn't matter. So anyways, they go replicate it and get the same results again. And so anyways, it's it's written by a woman who has her, you know, she's an MD, but she's really embracing this whole, like, what else is there besides what I was taught in medical school? And then my last one here, you might, do you know this book, Wanting by Luke Burgess? That book is incredible. Like I highly recommend that book. It's it that book is really great. So I had only like tangentially like connected with Rit. So he's basically doing for the work of Rene Girard what Ryan Holiday did for the Stoics. And Rene Girard is completely interesting. And I bought all of his books after I read that book. (laughs) You know what I'm doing? I'm laughing here. You recommended that book to me. Oh, did I? Oh, (laughs) that's so funny. I, because another thing I try to do is I try to read stuff like that doesn't seem, maybe is highly recommended, but doesn't seem that interesting. Sort of like doing exercises you don't want to do that are good for you, like deadlifting or something like that. 
And that was one of those books. I was like, man, I'm just not interested in reading this, but I'm going to make myself. And it turned me on to this whole other branch of philosophy that I had only just raised. And it's so interesting. The way he just, the way Girard deals with human desire and the, the cultural forces that create desire, I think is absolutely interesting and important and should be read because as a marketer, your whole job is creating desire for a thing, you know, like the, the age of late capitalism, you know, like you're not good enough here by this thing, just the way it is, you know? Um, and yeah, that book is a great primer for all that stuff. And it's, it's not badly written either. And yeah, it, it's a good book. Well, I feel like it was, it's helpful to me at work, but I feel like it's also helpful for me, for me, I'm going like, Oh yeah. When am I just copying people? Like how much do I really want that? Or have I just been programmed to want that? And I feel like it kind of like helps me rein in, like, I don't know, caring about what really matters, caring about my family, not just what I've been programmed to want, you know? Yeah, um, totally. Okay. I have to, I have to add a last one here so I can give you three. So one of my favorite authors, Howard Marks, he's got these great books, like the most important thing and mastering the market cycle. But he keeps talking about Nassim Taleb and I've read his other books like Anti-Fragile and Black Swan and stuff, but I had never, I'd never read Fooled by Randomness and mm. that is very much a Chad Lott book. I bet you would, that one would really uh, work for I'll you. I'll have to check it out. It's interesting when he just goes through very logically how often we are taking credit for things that both positive and negative we may not have influenced as highly as we thought we had, but you right. don't realize it until you really break it down. Um, it's, it's pretty fascinating anyway. Listen, I know we're about done here. Kind of my favorite question lately in our, in our last minute we've got is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Man, just don't ever stop doing the thing that you want to do. Like, don't like, I mean, a perfect example is the reason why I'm still terrible at jujitsu is I've stopped a bunch of times the reason why I'm awesome at writing is I never stopped, or, you know, and, you know, like you could just do a little bit every day, like the smallest amount, like, I mean, it works with working out too. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to like appeal to your, your listeners here to check, check on my sweet abs, but like, I used to work out like super crazy, like CrossFit, super intense stuff. I would go for like three weeks, get hurt for a week or whatever. I do the laziest calisthenic routine right now and I'm in better shape than I've ever been in. And, and so just like a little bit every day, never stop. That's the best advice. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah. Well, for anybody who wasn't listening to part one of the interview, will you, where to connect with you on social and about your podcast? Sure. Yeah. You can just like, my name is Chad Lott on LinkedIn. That's a good spot. I don't have a Twitter account anymore, but my podcast is uh, scary thoughts. So if you're really into horror movie stuff and, really bizarre philosophy that that nihilists talk about it's a great podcast for you i, I do it with a musician named mark kate who's a gym and so we're, we're almost 100 episodes in yes really pretty spicy topics that we get into so scarythoughts.podcast on instagram or scary thoughts on any podcast platform you want to listen to love it well man thanks for doing this well thanks man it's always bye. fun yeah bye everyone